Oh my. So uh, today we're starting Advent. Advent is a season we talked about last week. I'm not going to go into a whole uh, bunch of, of detail about what Advent is uh, because um, we, we went over that last week and I, I know that we, we got an understanding. So what we're going to do this week um, is we're going to start into this Advent season with the prophecy candle. And as Kurt um, uh, read some stuff, some scripture, and, and explained what the candle is, is about, uh, and then lit the candle and did not light himself on fire, which was awesome. Um, yes. I mean, here's the deal. I, I'm, and I'm serious about this. We don't celebrate the small things enough. Uh, and hey, he didn't go up in flames, and that's, that's good. Uh, are we alive today? All right, because here, here's the deal. If we're not alive today, I'm going to probably offend you, and um, then I'll be sitting at a table by myself eating all the chicken downstairs, uh, and, which maybe I'll just do that so I have more chicken for myself. Um, no, so we're going into the, this Advent season. We're going to be looking at the prophecy candle today. And as um, uh, Kurt said today, he, he explained what it was. In the prophecy candle, it opens the period. So it's, this, it's symbolic here. But it opens a period that anticipates Christmas and remembers those who first spoke the promise of the coming Christ child. That's where I want to focus today is on promise. Um, a, a lot of times when uh, you get around Bible people, they talk about prophecy. Uh, and, and I'm going to use prophecy and promise pretty uh, interchangeably today, but I really want to focus on promise. Because I, I think it's in the promises of God where we can rest the most. Uh, and what I want us to, to do is understand what exactly a promise is. So uh, for that ride, um, turn to Genesis chapter 3. Now, as you're turning there, a definition of promise, you know I like definitions, I like those, those clear cut and you know what we're talking about, understand that. A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. So when someone promises you something, it's that they're, they're anticipating to do something or to not do something. And I've told you in the past that... that um, I, I, I'm, I'm shy when it comes to promises. Me, one, me giving promises. And two, me receiving promises. And it's not because I, I don't want to believe you. Or it's not that I don't want you to believe me. But there are things that are outside of my control. And there are things that are outside of your control that you cannot fulfill promises. Uh, you, you may have the best of intentions to fulfill a promise. But something may happen. Uh, and, 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 and when something happens, um, you have to, uh, you, you might not have any control over that, whatever that, that, that issue is. So, f for instance, let's use something just crazy. Uh, my wife uh, it, it will promise me a, a bowl of ice cream when I get home. Right? I mean, everybody's like, okay, I want that promise. Anybody? No ice cream? Fine, whatever. My... <laughs> My wife will pro has promised me, um, and I'm telling this in front of everybody, so you have to give it to me now. Um, <laughs> no, if she promise, promises me a bowl of ice cream, and she has the best intent to, to deliver that promise, but I, I, say I'm up here, and I fall off the stage, and I break my arm, and I'm in the hospital for uh, the rest of the day, and maybe even tomorrow. So, something happened that caused her not to fulfill that promise. Is it, is it, is it her, her fault that she didn't fulfill the promise? No, no it's my clumsiness or whatever. <laughs> the, 
it was a reason. But regardless, there were things outside of her control that could not fulfill the promise in which she made. Now, why, why do I stress that? Well, because when we talk about promises of God, God has control over everything, so therefore when He gives a promise, He has the ability to see it through. He has the ability to see it through. That's what we talk about in, 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 about prophecies. When a, something is promised or prophesied, it, it's not a, a hope in, in like what we think. And I know that Jake's going to be uh, teaching about this. Uh, was it the, the the last Sunday of the of the year? Um, uh, about about the, the hope in which we have um, as Christians is different than the hope in which we have as normal people. Because like I hope the Browns win. You know I. I uh, the bad thing is they won a couple times this year, so they think they're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> We're going to Disney World! You are, but not how you think. Uh, but it's not that kind, of, that kind of hope. The hope in which we have is the assurance. Why? It's because God said. And when God promises something, when God says something, He delivers on that. Now, when I, why do I have you in, in Genesis chapter 3? Well, I think that to understand... The magnitude of the promise, we have to understand that there's a problem. And the problem, and I'm not going to read through all of this. Here's homework for you. Read through Genesis chapter 3. Actually, start in chapter 1. Go 1, 2, 3 uh, this week. Um, and, and if you get really ambitious, keep on, keep on reading. But in Genesis chapter 3, we have what's called the fall. So uh, Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about how God created and everything he created was very good. He created uh, man and woman and he placed him in the garden to take care of the garden. And he says, okay, here, you can do whatever you want, except one thing. Do not take of this particular tree, the knowledge of good and evil, do not take of this particular tree. Because in the day in which you partake of that, you will die. Well, what does Adam and Eve do? They took, they ate, and, at the, and, and yeah, they died. Physically, they died. They didn't die immediately, but they died spiritually, and then later on physically. We see the, the, the um, result of that um, in our everyday life when we deal with death. Think about this. And this is crazy. I had a, a, a pastor say this one time, and I was like, I had to think really hard about this, but you're not made to die. When God created us, He didn't create us with the intention for us to die. It's because of the fall that death happens. Now, so th there's a big problem. This big problem, not only is there physical death, but there's spiritual death. The spiritual death that takes place is that Adam and Eve took it upon themselves to say, I know what's better for me than what God says is better for me. And what they did is when they took of that, they became then their own judge. And what that did is that took a, a, a perfect relationship. It took a relationship that, that God uh, um, created and he, he gave all provisions for, and it fractured it. That's why we call it, it, it's called the fall. And from that point on, there has been this problem. And that problem has been sin. The problem has been sin. So uh, why, do I, why do I tell you this? Because I think that when we understand the problem, the promise is so much better. Look with me at, at, at Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to uh, start reading in, um, well, I'll just start in, in verse 13. After This is when God's addressing um, the, the, the situation just happened. He says that, Then the Lord God said to the woman, 
What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. That's why I don't like snakes, because it's in the Bible. Right? <laughs> no, I wish it was that. I'm a girl when it comes to snakes. I know that. So, but, so cursed, cursed is a serpent. Now, look at verse, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. When we read this, I mean, for um, just an a, uh, average reader, uh, they would look at that and like, okay, there's going to be the snake, and there's going to be some, some strife between the, 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 the snake and the serpent and this offspring of this woman. Well, what, what does that matter? What we have to understand here is what is being said here is God is giving us a promise of the Messiah who's going to be coming. This is what is called the Proto-Evangelion. Big word just means first gospel. This is the first uh, declaration of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news of God's redemptive plan for sinful humanity. Well, why is there a redemptive plan? Remember, there was a fracture. There was a fall. There was a problem. God didn't create us to die. He created us to be in community with Him. So because of this problem, now He gives us a promise, which is a solution. And this promise is the gospel. Now we understand that the gospel is manifest and that we see and is fulfilled in Jesus, in the coming Messiah. But what we can say is, all the way back in the beginning, God had a plan. And this plan included a promise. So remember, when we talked about what a promise is and the ability to keep promises, we highlighted that we don't have the ability to follow through on all of our promises, but God has the ability, the means, the control to do just that. So if He promises something, it's going to come true. Now, let's fast forward a few thousand years to the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, you can turn to um, two passages that maybe you're probably already thinking, oh, Isaiah, I know exactly where to go. Uh, Isaiah 7, we're going to be in Isaiah 7, and, and Isaiah um, 9, really briefly. Because in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9, um, the, the, the prophet brings up these promises again. Look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Some of your, some of your uh, Bibles might have a little uh, title for this paragraph. It says, The Sign of Emmanuel. Verse 14. Um, here's another, uh, another homework assignment for you. If you want a, some reading, read uh, chapter 7, all of 7, Isaiah 7. Read chapter 9 as well, and 53. They're all going to speak about the, uh, about the Messiah. They're going to speak about Jesus. But here in verse 14 it says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, we know that what Emmanuel means, but because in the Gospels uh, they they talk about um, the, the same passage and they, they reference this, this passage, and when they say Emmanuel, they, they give a little uh, a parenthetical statement, meaning a statement that's in parentheses that says means God with us. So so think about this. 700 plus years before Jesus 
was born, before the Messiah was born, there was a dude, and if you know about Isaiah, Isaiah was kind of an eccentric guy. <laughs> he was. I think I, 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 we've talked about that. He, he was the, the, the streaking prophet. Um, he's, but, but God used him to communicate this, prop, this promise. And he clearly says, okay, what is going to happen? A, a virgin is going to conceive, and the, the, the son in which she conceives, we're going to name his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Turn over, um, or you might not even have to turn, it's probably right there, um, in chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So here the the prophet Isaiah is expounding even more what's going to happen with this Messiah, this, this Emmanuel, the one who's going to be born to fulfill this, this promise of, um, of, of redemption. He says this is what's going to take place, and he, and, he, and he says here that this is what his name is going to be. It, I, this is just kind of a, a side note. This is for free. Like if, you, if you're having trouble maybe praying or talking to God, just, just go to this passage and, and just, just, just look at, at the names for Jesus here. And just, just, just talk to him and say, hey, okay, wonderful counselor, okay? How is he my wonderful counselor? Thank you, Lord, for being my wonderful counselor, mighty God. Thank you for being my, my mighty God. I mean, just go through this. Because I, I think that, that, that what we, we tend to do is we, we, we tend to believe the lie that I just don't know what to do and I don't know what to pray, so I don't know. I just won't say anything. My mom always told me if you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. I would probably be a mute then. We are going to enact church discipline on one of our elders. <laughs> now, don't be turning around now. No, but sometimes what we do is we believe the lie. And what we need to do is, it's not the Colton Dixon song, just say the name of Jesus and everything's all right. No, because it's more than just saying the words, it's believing them. And it's resting in them. Now, as uh, the prophet Isaiah here, uh, 700 plus years before Jesus was born, he's prophesying about Jesus' birth. He's promising, prophesying, promising about the coming Messiah, and this is exactly how he's going to come. Now, if you fast forward even further, go uh, about 750, maybe 800 years uh, ahead, you end up in... Um, the, 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 narrate, uh, the narration of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. This is where I want you to, to, to end. Why do I tell you about Isaiah? Because, and why am I stressing that it was like 700 plus years before Jesus was born? This, the, 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 this shows us, the, the, and not that you guys need this, but I, I love these, 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 these things, the, the, these truths. It shows us the validity of Scripture. It shows us that, that God, when God speaks hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years prior, that He has the means to come, make it come to fruition, that in which He promises. 
So what we have here in Matthew chapter 1 is um, a, a, a coming to um, uh, fruition. It's, it's a promise that is now uh, uh, fulfilled. Look here in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Uh, anybody have any like, need interpretation of that statement? No? Pretty straightforward? Like, okay, we're going to talk about the way in which Jesus' birth happened. Not, not scientifically or bi- bi- biologically, so you don't have to put your hands over your kid's ears or Jake's ears or anything. I mean, no, but this is, this, and the reason I say that is because people are like, well, I don't know really what the Bible is saying. Well, the Bible is very clear if you read it. You obviously don't know what the Bible is saying when you don't read it. Off the soapbox, back into the Word. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that's a, that's a formal engagement here, something that um, it, it really doesn't happen as much today as it did back then, at least to the extent. Um, and and to, to give you, a, and it's going to make sense here in a second, but to give you the, really the, the, the importance of it, a betrothal was um, only break, breakable by death or by divorce. So they, they viewed it not, almost, almost, not, not e- you know, equal with, but almost like the, the terms of a marriage. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not, fear, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sounds familiar, right? When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So when we read this story, we're getting the cliff note version, obviously of what happened in Jesus' birth. It says the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and um, we know that the, the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary and said that the child in which you're going to see, conceive is from me, is from, well, I should say, this, is from the Lord, not from, not from Gabriel. It is from, is from the Lord. Now what we have to understand here, and I'm not going to get into angelology and pneumatology and all these ologies and stuff like that, the Holy Spirit, and forgive me if this offends you, but I think it's important, it's not that the Holy Spirit did not have sex with Mary to create a little baby Jesus. No, this is a supernatural event that took place because remember, Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin until after Jesus was born and after joseph had to wait that long period after for some lovings i don't know how else to say that <laughs> every guy in here who has a kid's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so um back on track here uh, but it wasn't until after that 
that Mary was no longer a, a virgin. So, so what we have here is we have the, 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 the telling of what took place. We have God communicating uh, it, it, to, to Joseph that this is what happened. And, 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 to, and he was bringing to remembrance that which was already promised. So, so, so think about that. Why do I say that? Because well, there, there are times that, that we, all we really need is just to be reminded of what God has already said. And this is one of those times. This is a huge thing. And we're going to talk some numbers here in a minute because it's like really coolie. It's coolie? 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 Coolio. Uh, right? But it's really kind of cool to, to look at, at, at the geeky side. I was going to say geeky and coolie at the same time, but it just came out coolie. <laughs> we make up new words. Whatever. But it's kind of interesting to, to see like how uh, um, uh, when uh, like an event like this, that God, he, God is not saying anything new here, right? God is just reminding them of the promise in which he's already made. And too many times what happens with us is we want a new revelation from God. No, what you do, what you do need is just to be reminded what he's already said. To be reminded of what he's already promised. We don't need a new word. We don't need a, some, some, some new special mystic if you just do this and if you say this and if you can just get this, if you gain this knowledge, then you'll have a, a more deeper uh, relationship with, with, with God. No, that's called Gnosticism and that's, it's, it's heresy. You don't have to have some special knowledge to get closer to God. Does God want you to know Him and to grow in the relationship? Absolutely. But you don't have to have some kind of secret handshake or be able to read some certain type of codes or line up all the numbers in the Bible so they, they make these special... No. It says that God is with us. God came to have relationship with us. So when we see this, we see that Joseph is being reminded of a promise in which God had given. Now, on this promise, this is the coolie part. I mean, if, if, the, if the kids can use the word lit, and it's supposed to, I mean, we can use coolie, right? Anybody know what lit means? So, some? Yeah, yeah. It had to be explained to me, too. Lit means like really rad, gnarly, coolie. There you go. So I, I'm a, I had a kid on my baseball team, every time I, I, I would use lit, and I would always use it out of context. And, and he would look at me like, really, coach? Yeah, I can't. It was lit. <laughs> right. That, that's proper. No, go, Jake. Yeah. You're trying to redeem yourself. It ain't working, buddy. So the coolie thing here. Let's, let's talk about numbers. Um, disclosure, I am not a numbers guy. So when, when, we, when we look at this, I am someone who knows how to read. Okay? I, I'm, I, and I say that because I did not crunch the numbers. Someone who is much smarter than me in this category crunched these numbers. Um, and it's, but it's, it's very revealing here. Um, before we get into that, let me, let me give you a, a, a ratio or a probability, because that's what we're going to talk about, some probability. A probability in which, which maybe you, you might be a little bit more familiar with. Um, so if you get on the Internet and you look at different people, uh, different uh, um, uh, sites or whatever, the most common probability of someone winning the lottery is like 1 in 260 million. That's, it's about the, the, the most common. So if you think about that, 
That's and in your mind, if you can put 200, you can you can do this. Everybody, close your eyes for a second. This is very spiritual. Hold on to your purses and stuff, but that's right. <laughs> so so think about that. That's two six zero, comma zero zero zero, comma zero zero zero. Everybody see that? Okay, so that's one in two hundred and sixty million. That's the chances of you winning the lottery. Well. A really smart guy by the name of Peter Stoner, back in the 60s, he, he wrote a book, and, by, and Moody, Publishers, uh, Moody Press published this book. And in this book, he talks about the probabilities of prophecy and, and, and such. And he did this. Uh, he, he took the, the, the prophecies that are, that are in the Old Testament, and um, one of the things that I want to, to make clear, that there's hundreds of prophecies Hundreds of, of, of prophecies, or, or, or like we're talking about promises in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah. All right, and if you if you take the um, what's it called the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, what they've done is they've itemized these prophecies, and, and all that means is um, taken the individual prophecies and, and uh, numbered them, uh, but didn't repeat prophecies because there's multiple pro- prophecies that are saying the same thing that, to get that hundreds of numbers. So they, they came up with like 127 prophecies, itemized prophecies of the coming Messiah. All right, so remember that number, 127. So of those, this, this guy, Peter Stoner, he, he selected eight of the best-known prophecies, and he did a little math. And, and his calculations, he says that, that the odds of the accidental fulfillment of eight prophecies, all right, just think of this, eight prophecies. That's like... You're eight. This side we do eight here, right? It, it looks a whole lot better than this. Maybe it's a facial expression. I don't know. So eight prophecies. All right, I'm throwing down now, right? I'm coolie and lit. <laughs> Wrong kind of lit, buddy. Um, so eight, pro- eight prophecies. I mean, I... They, they, they weren't guarding the, the coffee in the office, and I think this, I had a little bit too much. But <laughs> eight prophecies. Eight prophecies accidentally, accidentally being fulfilled by one person. The probability of that is this. One in ten to the 17th power. Okay, all right. Again, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now it's one. Okay, wait a second. I look at my fingers here. I can't do it. I, I mean, I was gonna say let's let's try. Like, can can you picture seventeen zeros behind the number one? It, it, it's it, you can't do it. You get up to you know maybe a hundred million or two hundred a trillion. Maybe maybe some of you are, are, are really good. I don't know. It's a lot. It's actually the, the, the official name of that number. It's that would be one in 100 quadrillion. One in 100 quadrillion. That, 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 that's the, the, the number, that, that, that's number one with 17 zeros behind it. Okay? That's just eight prophecies. Eight prophecies. Now, if this was, now let's, let's illustrate that because we're like, okay, that's a huge number, right? Kudos, Lee. All right. So he, he, he put it, uh, this, this guy, this Peter Stoner, 
put it in, in, in a visual for us. He says, imagine this. And I've, I, I, I've, if this illustration is common to you, I've used it before, but bear with me here. So he says, imagine this. Take silver dollars. Fill the state of Texas knee-deep with silver dollars. Now, before you do that, take one of those silver dollars and put an X on it and throw it into the, into the bunch and then cover the entire state of Texas. And we know Texas is bigger than, you know, whatever, California and whatever. You know, they say, oh, yes, Texas is huge. Everything's big in Texas. Fine. That's why I guess he uses this state. Knee-deep, Texas. Silver dollars. X on one of them. Dump the state. Fill the whole entire state so we don't have to listen about the cowboys anymore and beating on the saints or whatever. Anywho, um, some of you are like, what? Don't worry about it. So, uh, so, so think about that. Knee-deep. Knee-deep. Silver dollars. Entire state. One of them has an X on it. Then blindfold Shans and tell him to go. And tell him if he finds the, 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 the right one, you'll give him a train ride or something. So he'll really be motivated for this. Now, so, but, but just blindfold someone and say, go walk. And when you feel inclined to stop, bend over and pick up one silver dollar. Okay? That is the same probability of one in 100 quadrillion. One quadrillion dollars, right? So, so think about that. How, what would be the odds if we did the same thing here in this room, knee deep? So, I mean, it's not going to happen. But the entire state of Texas? So if there's eight prophecies, eight fulfilled prophecies, that's the, the probability of that happening. One in 100 quadrillion. I always think... I want a laser. Um, I do. Someday I'm going to have a pointer so I can, we can point at stuff. And then Jake will be like, wait, wait. <laughs> oh <my laughs> it's, it's one of those days. I know better. It, it, it's high. Right. One in 100 quadrants. So, so think about this. Th think of that probability. I mean, that's just like mind blowing. Poof. Right? That's eight prophecies. He goes on to say this. Keep in mind, Jesus didn't just fulfill eight prophecies. It says that he fulfilled 108. 108. And he puts, he, he puts some, some more math into this. He says the chances of fulfilling 16, that would be this. Right? Hey, Matt, hold up eight fingers. There, that's 16, right? So the, the, the probability of, of, of him fulfilling 16 is 1 in 10 to the 45th power. Okay, do, you want, do we need to go through the, 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 the thing again? Try to, to, to imagine 45, 0, no. we, we got it, it's a lot, right? You see where this is going? Now, in the Old Testament, there are, of all these prophecies, there, there are 48 prophecies that are specifically tied to the death of the Messiah. Specifically tied to Jesus' death. Now, if you were to take those 48 and the fulfillment of those, 
just 48, the odds increase to 1 and 10 to the 157th power. 157 zeros behind what? We got this, right? It's beyond, it's beyond the capability for math alone to be able to explain how this happened. And that's just 48. There are 60 others that are involved, that could be involved. And I don't even know. He, he, he stopped after this. He's like, if you don't get the picture by now, I don't know what to tell you. So the probability of Jesus being, and remember we went through the madman or Messiah? The probability of Jesus being the Messiah and fulfilling all this, is it's beyond our comprehension. So either he's a madman or he is the Messiah, right? Math alone proves it. Now, I'm not saying that we need math to prove our faith. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is the promises of God, we're seeing the fulfillment of the promises of God. We're seeing God working. We're seeing the power enacted. We're seeing math revealing that here. There is not, and, and I, I think I said this when we went through that, that other series on, on, on you know, Messiah or Madman, but there's no sane, rational thinking, individual or part of a religion that can deny Jesus's physical uh, uh, um, appearance and physical presence on the earth. You, you can't. History alone tells us that, that Jesus was here. History alone tells us about the advent. We have scripture that, that, that tells us about these promises and the fulfillment of these promises. Here's another cool one for you. If, if, if you're thinking like for, uh, um, well, it, it started since the Enlightenment, so what's that, the, the, the 18th century, 1700s-ish, up until modern time, they, 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 the, the, the big premise was, for, for some intellectual people, said that, well, yeah, but you know, what happened is they wrote the, uh, the Old Testament prophecies after Jesus was already born, so, you know, of course he can fulfill them because they were written afterwards. Well, here, here's the crazy part about that. There's these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls that weren't, were not, um, they, they weren't um, uh, discovered until like the 1940s. And, and, and when they were discovered, they predated Jesus' life. So they, they're, they're from like the 3rd or 4th century B.C. And you know what they were found in, in, in those Dead Sea Scrolls? All of the Old Testament. All of these prophecies already written. All of these promises of God saying that this was going to happen. So those critics that said, well, you know, that Jesus just, they had, had the people who wrote these things after Jesus was alive. Well, how do you explain the Dead Sea Scrolls then? You, you can't. But what we have to do is we have to look here now and we have to say, wow, these are some big stinking numbers. And the probability is just mind-bending. I would look out here and I would say, I, I, and I believe this, I would look out here and I would say that everybody I'm looking at, and if, if I'm wrong, hey, I'm wrong, whatever, but if I, everyone I'm looking at, you believe that Jesus was born, and, and Jesus, that you believe that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? 
that Jesus was born, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we're celebrating Advent. So what you're doing is you're getting behind these numbers here, this probability of saying it doesn't make sense on paper. Mathematically, it's just like, woo! But that's where I'm at. You would sit here and like, it sounds crazy, but I believe the promises that were given, and we see them fulfilled here. I believe that. I believe that. And if you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, well, we need to talk later. But I would believe that everybody sitting here would say, yes, I believe that. Jesus is the reason for the season. Okay, shut up, Lee, and let's pray and go home. Well, well you can't think that because I'm not done yet. Because I'm going to say this. This is the part where it might get a little dicey for you. Because if you believe God fulfilled the promises of the first advent, why is it so freaking hard to believe the promises that He gives us already, that He's given us today? I'm sorry, it it does. It it pains me to to, to think somebody can sit there and say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. He was a baby and he, He rose and He died on the cross. He fulfilled these promises, these things that are like, ah, my head hurts even thinking about it. But I don't know if He can bring me rest. I don't know if he can bring me peace. I don't really know if he really cares about me. How insane does that sound? If you're going to be the one who says, I believe in the first advent, everything that comes after that, if you don't believe in that, you're the madman. Or you're just scared. And that fear is not from God. That fear is from the devil. Here's what I've done. I put down some prophecies or some promises that I want to touch on really quick. And then we're going to go eat some chicken. Because God gave us chicken to eat. <laughs> Via Greg. He empowered Greg to help with that. But, I mean, he, God and, he created the chicken and... And God's people said, Amen. But, so the promises of God. Let's not lose the, 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 this power here. The promises of God. If we're going to say Jesus was eight pounds, six ounces, little baby Jesus, and golden fleece divers. I got it in this week. So if we say that, and we're, yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he rose again. All of that. You understand that, that there's like a thousand prophecies all, that talk about Jesus and the church and everything within Scripture. If all of that is true, I don't even know the numbers on the, the probability of all that. So if, 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 if Jesus came once and he said he's coming again, let, let, let's look at this real quick. God promised to finish the work he started in us. Philippians uh, chapter 1 verse 6 says that. It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's not like a... Wow, it might happen. No, it, this is a promise. So some, some of you are sitting there like, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know how to do this. I, I want to, to please God. I want to live a life that's, that's uh, uh, pleasing to God in, in a manner worthy of, of the gospel, but I just don't know how to do it. The only way you're going to do it is by the promise of God. How about this? God promised peace when we pray. That one there is in Philippians, um, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. I, I, I like this one. 
God promised to supply our needs. This is not prosperity gospel. This is God promised to supply our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. We see that in Matthew 6 and in Philippians 4. If you want these texts, I've got them later. I just want, for sake of of time, I want to get through these. Because I want to get to this really one. This is the one that that I, I think that we most struggle with. Jesus promised us rest. Matthew chapter 11. Turn there. You should already be in Matthew. Just a couple pages over here. Some of you are like, I want more than rest. I need a good job. No, 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 no. If you were to strip away everything that's going on in your life, everything that you're trying to achieve, everything you're trying to do, everything, everything, what you're trying to get to is to a place that you have rest for your soul. That you feel contentment, that you feel worth, that you feel like you, you matter, that you feel that you have purpose, all of those things. Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses um, 28 and on, it says, Come to me, this is Jesus saying this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I just want to end there. Because that's a promise of God. And if we're going to believe the fulfillment of the first advent, then when we read through Scripture, not if, but when we read through Scripture, and you come across a promise like this, You don't have to think, man, I wish that would come true. You have to understand if it's a promise from God, that it is true. And that's where we got to live. That's where we we can walk around with our head held high, no matter what is going on, saying, you know what? It may be really stinky here, but God's promised me better. I may not understand everything that's going on here, but I know what, what, what awaits me is so much better than this. It doesn't mean that the things in our life, doesn't, they don't affect us. It doesn't mean that the, the news that we get about uh, 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 you know, somebody in our family that is hurting or is sick, maybe an illness or, or, or whatever it may be, a relationship, it doesn't mean it doesn't sting. But we have to understand that, that God says that there's going to be a place with no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. And that's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking towards. So should we have confidence in our daily walk? Absolutely. Remember last week I said that the Advent should help us be confident in our daily walk, should impact our daily walk? It impacts our daily walk because what we can do is we can see and we can read and we can hear and we can live the promises of God. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we, we ask that um, as we went through a lot of stuff uh, and, and that we've we seen the, just these truths and, and brought to life in, in these numbers and in, in our minds and in, in these you know, illustrations, stuff like that, yeah, that we, we can't help but, but, but say that you are the Messiah or you are just a lunatic. God, I know these people here, they're saying that you are the Messiah. 
Lord, I know that, that, that there are lives that, that don't fully reflect that. And God, in, in, in those situations, what I, what I pray is that you um, comfort them, you empower them, you embolden them to live in the truth. Because like your word says, the truth will set us free. So God, I, I, I pray as we, we just continue in the Advent season, as we're preparing for your coming, as we'll talk next week, uh, as we're preparing for that, God, that we understand that you've promised that. So we don't have to think, well, is he coming or is he not? You said you were. God, and you do not break your promises. So Lord, as being the, 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 the great and the good Father, our, our good Father, Lord, we ask that we can rest in your truth. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.